Amen. Good morning. Um, what a privilege it is, I think, about to be in the company of individual believers who um, value in many ways the importance of spiritual interests. And, of course, revival is uh, um, spiritual interest. I was looking up the, um, the word revival to just, I don't know what, I mean, I'm not sure what the format is, whether I, I'm going to be double covering anything or not, but either way. Um, revival is a renewed, has, has to do with a renewed interest, right? <laughs> and I was just thinking about an illustration, you know, my kids, they uh, like baseball, you know, we're kind of a baseball family. And, uh, you know, every baseball season there's a renewed interest in the Marlins uh, going a long way. Well, <laughs> it didn't last very long. <laughs> but that is, a, that is a renewed interest in temporal things, you know. We're talking about eternal things, revival this morning in the assemblies. And are we understanding the new in the New Testament church or are we missing something? That was kind of the theme here this morning. Well, I think that there's a couple of passages that we want to look at this morning to maybe uh, help not necessarily renew our interest, but to help establish our renewed interest this morning. But I think we need before, if we haven't already, before we do anything, we need to establish a center point, as it were. Right? Um, Thomas was, uh, um, uh, what was it? You were um, an engineer. So uh, an engineer or anybody in industry, by the way, um, I'm not an engineer. I do landscaping. So we have a little more liberty. <laughs> it doesn't have to be as defined. And I learned that that liberty doesn't work everywhere as I was installing my cabinets, the house. And then I had the guy come out to measure the countertops. He refused to measure the countertops because I was so out of square. That was embarrassing. <laughs> right. But we do want to find a center point. And in talking about the New Testament church, where do we focus? Where is the center point? Where is the absolute? Oops, can I say that today? Where is the absolute center point of everything? And I think we're going to find that when we look in Matthew chapter um, 16. And Jesus was with the disciples, Matthew chapter 16, in the very familiar passage. Verses thir- beginning at verse 13. Jesus says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, I was speaking to a Jehovah Witness the other day. And she explained to me, I told her I didn't want her material. I loved the Lord Jesus with all my heart, mind and soul. And she says, well, I do, too. She said to me, but the only thing that distinguishes us is I don't worship him. And I went, whoa. 
<laughs> Who do men say that the Son of Man is? Some say a great prophet, right? Some say Elijah, right? Okay, that's who men say. And he said in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, let's get personal here, right? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And if I were to add a little bit to it, I would say, and I worship you. (laughs) And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh And blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Right? And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I think in thinking of revival in the position of the New Testament church, and are we understanding it or not, we can determine whether we are square and plumb by this very center point here. The fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior is primary, right? And the fact that that is not a human revelation. We were speaking about the Apostle Paul in Galatians. And how that was the biggest, the biggest thing that he had to overcome. He was confronted that he was making something up himself. And he had to declare, this is not a man-made revelation. This is a revelation specifically from God the Father. I didn't make it up. And it's important that he established that fact. Because we do know that man-made revelation has a tendency to change, right? Right? But divine revelation is consistent now and forever. Or as it says in Hebrews, yesterday, today, and forever. Right? It's the same. It's always the same. So the revelation... Is from Jesus, is, is, is from the Father. It's not a man-made thing. And Jesus says to him, to Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And we understand what he was speaking of. He wasn't talking about the physical rock, right? Of course, we understand there's a kind of a play in words. Petros, meaning rock. Peter was his name. Simon Barjona. So it was on his confession. What was his confession? Thou art the the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the church is built on that very fact. Now, later on in in John chapter chapter 6, the Lord Jesus would say to the disciples, uh, Are you going to leave me too? And they're like, Well, who are we going to go to? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who are we going to go to? You're the very pinpoint of everything. You are the center point. You are the lighthouse. So I think in thinking about the New Testament church and are we understanding the church, are we understanding what revival is, has to begin here with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to look at a couple examples, very familiar examples 
probably know we're going to go to, um, of revival, Old Testament revival. One was before the captivity and one was at the end of the captivity. One is going into the captivity and one is coming out of the captivity. So we're going to go to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 22, very familiar passage of Josiah, one of the great kings of Israel um, who, who was at the end of the um, nation of Israel as they dwelt independently prior to the captivity. And I'm not a historian, so I won't even go there. But we understand that Josiah, it says in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 22, it says regarding Josiah in verse 2, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand. So there was an interest. There was an interest in Josiah's life at the things of the Lord. He did right in the sight of the Lord. He had an interest in him. And um, it's, we can go on and continue to read this. He says, with that interest, he pursued it. You know, there, the, he didn't just leave that initial interest. He pursued it. He says, now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that uh, the king sent uh, Shaphan, the scribe, the son of um, Azaliah, the son of Meshulam to the house of the Lord saying, go up to uh, Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people and let them deliver it into the hands of those. Look at these three words doing the work. Okay, those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house. Then he goes on to the carpenters and all that. So he goes up, he gets a count of what's going on, and he turns it over to who? Those who are just sitting around waiting for something to happen? No. He turns it over to those who are doing the work. Now let me insert this right now. I believe that revival comes to those who are already doing the work, right? There is an initial interest in the things of God. There is an, in, an, an, an initial interest in serving the Lord. But look at what happens in verse 8. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hand of those who were, who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me the book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Now we get the renewed interest, right? It sparked. And it, I really believe it's a result of those who were doing the work, not just sitting around. 
And you can go on and continue to read that story. And, and obviously he, he gathers all the people. He reads the words of the law of Moses. And a revival begins, right? And it all began with those who were doing the work. <clears throat> but let's not be under, misunderstand what is going to happen here. Because ultimately, you read to the rest of this, they still do end up going into captivity. Even though revival was spurred, they end up going into captivity. So there are consequences that even revival will not override. Even revival will allow it to work out, right? They do go into captivity. However, we do know that um, as far as, as Josiah was concerned, you know, it says here in verse um, 18, but as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. And the words were, there was going to be judgment. When they found the law, they found that there was going to be judgment. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and you wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. When we look around and because of the way of humanity, when we recognize and we humble our hearts and we cry for them. Many Wednesday nights we come here and I hear over and over again. As the world goes out doing its way. Right? Doing its thing. Denying the Lord. He says, because you have done this, I have heard you. And then he made a great promise to Josiah the king. So what we learn is that revival comes to those initiated by an interest in the things of the Lord, right? And then um, brought out and the Lord, and, and of course it's, it's of the revelation of the Lord. So it's initiated by those who have an interest in the Lord. That was in the beginning. And also revival does not negate uh, or does not override uh, the consequences of sin. Let's look at another one that I was looking at initially, and this is at the end of the um, captivity in Haggai. In Haggai. And here we, we have a similar theme going on. We realize that at this time, the children of Israel had been in captivity. How long? 70 years? Was it 70 years they'd been in captivity? So now they're allowed. <laughs> they were given permission to go back to Jerusalem and rebuilt it. And they built their paneled houses. How interesting. They built their, you know, we, we take it for granted, the housing that we live in, you know. And, you know, it takes a lot to maintain, right? Some people call it a house. I call it a money pit and a time-consuming strain on me, right? They, they were, they, you know, we, and, and when you see that, when you see this passage in the first chapter of Haggai, you understand how easy it is to get caught up in those things being concerned with our own paneled houses. But scroll down to uh, verse uh, 12 in chapter 1. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetah, and, and uh, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the, and by the way, with all the remnant of the 
people. Remember, it wasn't all the people. And I think revival begins with those who have an interest in the things of the Lord, right? As well as it's not going to be everybody. It's just going to be the remnant, right? It begins there. And the remnant of the people. But they obeyed the voice of their Lord and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred. Right? The Lord is the one who stirred up their heart. Jesus would say to Simon Barjona, you haven't figured this out yourself. This was a revelation from my father. Right? Revival comes when God stirs your heart. And I understand revival, communal revival, is not, cannot be fabricated by men. I've been to those revivals. And really... They're just cheerleading exercises in many ways. Because if it's not from the Lord, that's right. That's right. It's like going to the Marlins game. <laughs> so it says here, then, then, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shutal, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came, and what did they do? They worked. They worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. Right? So they were doing the same thing. What were they doing before the captivity? When the revival came, when the revival began, they were working. And I think... We think about the New Testament. We've talked before about recognizing people in the assembly. Do you recognize someone in the assembly because there's a vacancy? Or is it because you identify, here's a man, here's men and women who are already doing the work. So we recognize him. Okay. The distinction is, if we're just filling a position... That's a man-made thing. But if we're recognizing the Spirit of the Lord stirring in the life of the believer, well, that's a divine thing. Right? So we have that there. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord or the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And then later in verse 2, it says, Speak now uh, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetal, and all of them. Uh, saying, verse 3, Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison uh, with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? Is this what God started? Did, is this how God... He says, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua. See, these are those who are doing the work. You're looking at the meeting place. You're looking and... Is this what it's supposed to be? And more often than not, you know it should be more than this, right? We know the assembly should be full. We know that people should be yearning to flock to the meeting. Is this what God has established? Right? So, so he said, but be strong, you guys who are doing the work. Don't lose heart. 
says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Do you see the theme? The theme is what? It's a four-letter word, and it's not sleep. Oh, wait a minute. That's five letters. One more. Work. Right? It's work. Get to work. And look at look down in verse uh, 10 or in verse 11. Thus says the Lord of her hosts. Now ask the priest concerning the law saying if one care and he goes on and he says if one carries the meat in the fold of his garment and with the edge of his torch and he begins to talk about the law and the establishment of the law. And he, he says he says uh, and if he does this and he touches bread or stew or any other food, will it become holy? Oh, of course not. Of course not. The answer is no, of course. Then the priests answered him, no. And Haggai said, he gives him another illustration. If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? And of course the answer is no. Of course not. Okay? So look at verse 12. And now, carefully consider from this day forward, from before uh, stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, there were but 10. In other words, someone was cheating them. When one came to the wine vat to draw out 50 from the press, there were but 20. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in the labors of your hands. You did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider your ways from this day forward. From the 24th, and consider it, right? It's an act of awake up. Wake up, right? Revival, a renewed interest, is an awakening. Wake up. And in this case, we understand that he was illustrating the fact that the Mosaic law had held some moral, could, could hold that moral cleanness could be transmitted. Right. The Mosaic law said that moral laws or the, 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 that moral cleanness could be transmitted, but moral uncleanness could. Did I say that backwards? OK, let me say that again. The Mosaic law holds that the moral law, but I said it wrong, could not be transmitted. Moral law. When you talk about the law, when we speak of the law, we speak of it in three aspects, right? You speak of the moral law, when the scriptures speak of the law. They speak of the moral law, they speak of ceremonial law, right? And then they speak of judicial law. And Jesus said this, I came into the world not to what? To condemn, or I, I came in not to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. Okay, and what law was he talking about? Well, he was talking about all three of them. And the Lord Jesus already fulfilled the ceremonial laws. And that's what he's talking about here. The moral law or the, the, the ceremonial law could transmit uncleanness. Right? The judicial law could transmit uncleanness. Right? But the moral law, right? Or... The more I, I know I got this all confused, but the moral uncleanness, right? Moral uncleanness had to be taken care of. It had to the long the disobedience of the nation. 
it, it, it worked unprofitable for them. So the point, what he was basically saying was, wake up. Wake up. Okay? Wake up. Get to work and wake up. Consider your way. So I was just saying all of that to use as two illustrations that um, corporate revival or the revival of the congregation begins with an initial interest, right? An initial interest in the things of the Lord. There's, there's the revelation that is being, there's a revelation that is transmitted that, that, um, uh, that provokes, as it were, the revival corporately, right? And then there's a renewing. And by the way, you think about that. It's a renewed interest. Revival, <clears throat> true revival, <clears throat> is like a breath of fresh air. Isn't it? It's like a breath of fresh air. You, 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 look, at, you look at this. It says a little bit earlier, Micah talks about their religiosity. Talks about <clears throat> preaching for money. It talks about their ceremonial. Um, Israel had come into uh, their ceremonial, just walking through the motions. There was nothing from the heart, right? And Jesus stepped into that as he rebuked the disciples, and not the disciples, as he rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, because they had come to a place where there was ceremony. And we also are very familiar with the passage where the scriptures teach us sacrifice and offering. I'm not interested in that. Right. Right. He says, but your heart, I am obedience is what he was interested in. So their revival in the old illustrated in the Old Testament, I think, is similar to the way it is today. Revival amongst the assembly starts with what's happening right here. You have an interest in, it doesn't have to be, and, and it's just with the remnant, right? And it begins, and then it's not manufactured by us, right? We can't manufacture it. People have responsibility to respond to the Spirit of God. Now, in the New Testament, I think the Lord Jesus, and I'll close up here quickly, that the Lord Jesus very much illustrates those characteristics of revival in the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes. Whether it's revival in the individual, whether it's revival, a familial revival, revival in the family, or whether it's revival in the assembly. I think this is <clears throat> wonderful characteristics that happen. In revival, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Revival begins in a brokenness, right? Recognizing my sinfulness. That's where it begins. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, it's one thing to recognize your sinfulness. It's another thing to mourn over it, right? Why? Because it hurts. Because to be separated from a living, holy God is a very painful thing. And you mourn over it. And you cry over it. And every time it comes up again, right, your brokenness, my inability. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is a poverty that says, I can't do anything. It's not the poverty 
that we see out here on the streetlights, right? Those people can at least get out there and beg, right? This is a poverty that says, I can't even do that. Blessed are those who recognize that spiritually we have no ability to redeem ourselves. And we cry over it, right? And we mourn about it. And then blessed are those who are meek. We, out of that mourning and out of those tears, there is an acknowledgement of my, my sinfulness and his holiness. And it humbles me. It creates a meekness in me that sets me back, right? And it drives me. It drives me to the next one is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. God, I know I'm a sinner. And it bothers me. I recognize your holiness. Please, I hunger. I hunger. The very basic things of humanity. The two things that we all have alike. We hunger. We thirst. We can't escape it. Right? And we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. That's that internal thing. That's that characteristic that the revelation of God does in us. Right? That revelation begins. And then what happens after that? It begins to work its way out. Blessed are the merciful. How come you can be merciful? Because you've what? Received mercy. Revival begins. It starts on the inside. And it works its way out. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Right? You're, you're cleansing your heart. It says in 1 John, if I confess my sins, what? He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. And to what? To cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Right? There's that outworking of it, right? I am active in it. I am working on it. We're not saved by work, right? But God's looking for those who are working. He's looking for those who are working. Blessed are those, um, uh, are the merciful, are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? And the peacemakers. How do you make peace? By preaching the gospel. By sharing the word of God, right? We make peace. Hey, there's not going to be peace on this earth. We understand that. There's not going to be peace in your house all the time. There's not going to be peace at work all the time, right? Right? But there can be peace in heaven. There can be peace between us, between me, and the one who made me. Okay? But don't be mistaken. It's not going to make life full of roses and sunshine. Right? Because what's that other beatitude? What's that last beatitude? Blessed are those who are persecuted. For what? For your own sake? You're persecuted because you have to pay taxes? You're persecuted because a cop pulled you over? You're persecuted because your neighbor messed up your yard? No. You're persecuted for because you spoke up. Because revival began in your heart. And it worked its way out. And the world is going to say, I ain't going to have nothing to do with that. And they're going to come after you. Are you being persecuted? If not, we need to think about it, right? So one final thought. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Apostle Paul writes, he says, I charge you therefore 
before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, right? Fulfill your testimony. What a great privilege it is that we have to participate in re. Revival, right? Revival is not one time a year, is it? It should be every day. And then we celebrate it on the Lord's Day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience.